Be Rad podcast is brought to you by MoFo, male optimization formula with organs to boost testosterone. Brad's macadamia masterpiece, mind-blowing nut butter blend, now offered on Amazon. Chili technology, temperature-controlled mattress systems for a good night's sleep. InsideTracker.com, offering blood, DNA, and fitness tracking data all in one place. And Organifi, whole food organic superfood supplements and drink blends. And please visit the shopping page at bradkearns.com for my personal selection of favorite products for health, fitness, and peak performance with great discounts for listeners. Here we go with the show. We start eating paleo, and I'm starting a lifestyle change. Within two years, from 66 to 68, I lose over 30-some pounds. Not because I'm on a diet, I'm just eating healthy. And as you know, hormones balance, everything goes back to normal, you lose all this fat weight. And I had eliminated all seven medications that my physicians thought I needed for the rest of my life. You'll see my allopathic oncologist every month. He actually agrees with my approach. Now he can't go out and recommend what I'm doing to another patient or he is practice would fire him, you know, and he could be sued because it's not in with the standards of, of care, conventional care. A clinic in Budapest, Hungary called the Paleo Medicine Clinic, who actually has been treating patients since 2010 or 11. They've treated over 5,000 patients that have serious chronic disease and curable and incurable cancers with a strict animal-based diet with no supplements, no pharmaceutical drugs, and they are reporting in medical literature case studies of their patients resolving their chronic and cancerous issues, I was compelled. Hey everyone, get ready for a pretty heavy emotional, heartfelt, and highly informative show from Dr. Al Dannenberg. He is a longtime periodontist from South Carolina. He's one of the earliest primal health coaches and a definite role model, the poster boy in the older age groups for living that ancestral lifestyle. But his journey has not been without some major hiccups and challenges. And you're going to be regaled by Dr. Al's story of uh, suffering from first a stroke in his 60s, and then uh, after he turned the corner and made major lifestyle changes to eat paleo and live the healthy lifestyle and be featured as a speaker at Paleo FX as the poster boy, then he got a diagnosis of incurable terminal cancer. And you're going to find out what he did on that life-changing day to turn the corner and heal himself naturally. And if you've been intrigued by the carnivore diet prior to this, oh my goodness, some of the commentary from Dr. Al is really going to put the pieces together and help you appreciate the uh, amazing uh, scientific rationale and benefits for an animal-based diet where you give your gut a break from all the natural plant toxins that you've been ingesting for maybe your entire lifetime. And 
possibly having a negative cumulative effect without you knowing it. Uh, Dr. Al is a wealth of knowledge and information, but his story, I think, is really going to touch you. And boy, I think we're all sitting here crossing our fingers, uh, hoping for that day to never come when we're getting a life or death diagnosis from the doctor, crossing our fingers, hoping we're okay, but then thinking that when you get cancer, it's all over, you're doomed. Uh, but there's such greater possibilities. And I think here's a living, breathing example uh, of a guy in his mid-70s who has a new lease on life. He's still practicing dentistry and helping his patients in more ways than one, in some cases when they're uh, embracing his holistic point of view and how they can help heal their gum disease from changing their diet and all kinds of crazy ideas like that. So let's take it away with Dr. Al Dannenberg. Dr. Al Dannenberg, we reconnect again, and we have so many exciting things to talk about. I had to, I had to, I had to stop you, man, because I'm like, wait a second, we just got <laughs> connected here on wonderful Zoom, and um, we're gonna we're gonna jump right into it. You have so many fascinating aspects. We're gonna talk about gut health. We're gonna talk about what happens when you get cancer and how you can beat the thing and, and turn the corner. Uh, so maybe you should uh, take the floor and, and introduce yourself. Uh, we go way back with the Primal Health Coach certification. You're one of the earliest coaches certified and have had a great career in uh, period, periodontistry, per, periodontalness. What, what do you got there? Yeah, so I'm a periodontist. That periodontist. means I am a dentist, yeah, that has specialized in the treatment of gum tissue and bone rupture and all the infants that are related to it in the jaw joint. And I was doing it for 44 years. Amazing. <laughs> I'm an old guy here. I'm 73 years old right now. But I was doing it and stopped practicing actively in um, 2018 when a few interesting things happened in my life. Do you want me to tell you? What the heck happened to this healthy guy? And, and tell us, yeah. you know, you got into Primal um, quite a while ago. And we're checking yeah. all the boxes, living this wonderfully healthy lifestyle. Well, let me give you an idea of what really happened. Um, so we have to go back a little bit. And I'm 59 years old at this time, thinking I'm pretty healthy, not knowing what I'm doing. And I have a stroke. Um, and my physicians saved my life. Conventional medicine saves my life, puts me on seven medications to take for the rest of my life. That didn't sit well with me. They didn't have any idea why I had a stroke. And of course, they tell me to eat healthy and live a healthy lifestyle, and I'll be fine, but I'll need to take these medicines for the rest of my life. They don't know how to define a healthy lifestyle or a healthy diet. When I tried to seek that information out, all I can find were the American Cancer Society, the, the American Heart Association, all those organizations basically were saying the same thing. And you know, it was very similar to a standard American diet, maybe a few exceptions, but basically a standard American diet. And then I was weighing maybe 187 pounds or so, and, and I'm five foot seven, so I'm a little chunky. But fast forward to the age of 66, I'm doing all this research, figuring out what's going wrong, and I'm getting a new diet that's that is endorsed by the American Heart Association, Cancer Society, whatever. And nothing's happening. I'm still on seven medicines. I'm still weighing 185 or so pounds. And I 
find a course at the Kripalu Center for Yoga and Health of all places for healthcare professionals that is a five-day intensive program that I think I'm really going to learn everything and hone all my skills. And I'm thinking it's going to confirm everything I've been doing, thinking that I was doing the right thing. So I take this course, and actually, it is an introduction to a primal lifestyle. I never even heard of this. I never even heard of Weston A. Price, mind you. Even in dental school, they never talk about him. Mm. And so I'm learning stuff that is blowing me away. And I come back home and I tell my wife, I'd like to make a change. She and I bump heads, but we clear everything out of our cupboards, refrigerator, freezer that is not paleo. And we give seven bags to the food bank. We have no food in the house. We start shopping and we start eating paleo and I'm starting a lifestyle change and I'm starting to research what this is all about. I actually learn about Mark Sisson and his new approach to primal health through the internet. Contact him when I heard that he was starting a primal health program And absolutely said, whenever you get ready to find your uh, customers, I'm the first enrollee. And I did that. But I'm also starting to see changes in my life. Within two years, from 66 to 68, I lose over 30-some pounds. Not because I'm on a diet. I'm just eating healthy. And as you know, hormones balance. Everything goes back to normal. You lose all this fat weight. I'm also incorporating... I had eliminated all seven medications that my physicians thought I needed for the rest of my life. So within two years, I had no medications in my body. So I'm getting healthy and I'm thinking, wow, this is a game changer and a health changer and a healing changer. So I'm starting to incorporate the concepts of a paleo diet and lifestyle, my periodontal therapy with my patients. Now, maybe two to three percent of my patients really get it and want to get on board. But those that got on board had phenomenal healing results and going forward stayed healthier, not just in their mouth, but overall health. So I'm I'm just blown away. And I know that this is the way that our human species was supposed to live and thrive. So I start writing about it and I lecture and I um, uh, clinically obviously seeing patients. I do some consultations, literally international via Skype at the time. And, And I am now, let's fast forward to April 2018, going to be speaking at Paleo FX. So I'm traveling from Charleston, South Carolina to Austin, Texas through Atlanta Airport. Um, I'm 71 years old, thinking, thinking I am the post, senior postway for a healthy lifestyle. I get to Atlanta Airport, and you know, Atlanta is a very large airport. And what I like to do is have enough time between flights, connections, and I can walk the concourses rather than take the train. And I, I have a bag on my shoulder, and I'm walking from concourse A to concourse D or whatever. It's a long walk. But the bag starts to really make my shoulder very sore. 
And I don't get the reason why, but I'm thinking I pulled a muscle or a, you know, a rotator cuff or whatever. Get to Austin, Texas, do my seminar, go back to Charleston. But the pain stays in my right shoulder. Then it sort of changes its position, gets to my scapula in the back of my, uh, on my right side. And then it comes to the front around my sternum. And I'm starting to have some problems actually taking deep breaths. I'm a little pig-headed, so it takes a little time for me to figure out I need to see somebody. So by August of 2018, I go to my physician, who I've seen for many, many years, and he's the one that, that saw me when I had a stroke. And of course, he doesn't know anything about healthy diet and lifestyle, but anyhow, I still see him. And I'm telling him, I said, you know, Bobby, something's going wrong. I pulled a muscle, whatever. He looks at me, he says, yeah, you got some pain. I said, yeah, that's why I'm here. So he said, let's do some blood tests. So he does a series of blood tests and uh, CRP. All the blood tests come back normal. But the CRP, the C-reactive protein, is significantly elevated. Normally when I had this test below 0.5, which is a very healthy, good result, over 5.0. Something's going on in my body. Inflammation, don't know if it's acute, don't know if it's chronic, don't know where it's coming from, but my body is inflamed. So he orders an MRI to determine what may be going on. I'd have the MRI. He calls me the evening that he receives it, and he says, you want to talk or do you want to come into the office? I said, yeah, let's talk over the phone. How bad could it be? So he starts to joke a little bit, and he says, you know, did somebody beat you up? Did you fall down some steps? I said, of course not. I'm carrying a bag on my shoulder. I tore whatever, or, or a ligament. What's, what do you see? So he says, there is a vertebral compression fracture. He sees two or three ribs broken. He sees a hair in my pelvis and a soft tissue mass, two to three centimeters big along my spinal cord, outside of my spinal cord, my spinal column. And he says, I think you have either lymphoma, leukemia, or multiple myeloma. Three cancers. And I am the senior poster boy for a healthy lifestyle. How could it be? I'm devastated. So he actually calls in an oncologist who I have not met yet. They do a, uh, a bunch of other tests do a biopsy of the little soft tissue lesion. And I'm in my oncology office, my oncologist's office with my wife and two adult children, meeting him for the first time. And he tells me that I have IgA kappa, light chain multiple myeloma, with significant lesions throughout my spine. That's why bones are breaking and I have this pain. And it's incurable. And he gives me three to six months Oof. if I do nothing, All right? So a ton of bricks is hitting my head. It's like I'm in a car and I'm T-boned by an 18-wheeler. I, my life flashes in my eyes so that the life that I do, that I had for the previous 71 years was over. It was going to change. And it was an incurable. So he tells me the first thing we need to do is start chemotherapy tomorrow. 
and that will help you go into remission. We'll do some radi radiation therapy to help you breathe better because the pain was from the malignancies and the broken um, uh, ribs, and I had to do something because I couldn't breathe deeply. And I'm saying to him, now, you're telling me this is incurable. Why am I going to do chemotherapy? And he says, well, like I said, it's going to put you in remission. And when you're in remission, you're fine. Uh, and then, unfortunately, the disease will come back. And once it comes, I have to do more chemo, but a type of chemo, a little more caustic because you not work any longer. And I'm telling him or asking him, so, so what is going to happen with the quality of my life? And quality of life for me was everything. And he said, when you're in remission, you're going to feel great. But as things deteriorate, you're going to have a decrease of quality of life. And I said, well, how, if this is incurable, how am I going to die? What, what is going to happen? You know, I'm very geeky. I need all these answers. So he's telling me most people with multiple myeloma have three causes of death. Either you have an infection that we can't get under control because your immune system is so compromised because this is a disease of the bone marrow. And the, also, you'll die from an infection we can't treat. You'll have kidney failure. Or you'll bleed to death internally because the anemia that is created from multiple myeloma is going to create a significant problem. Three causes of death now. And I'm saying to him, and I'm looking at my wife, my kids, and they're in agreement after we have a quick discussion. And I'm telling him, quality of life is everything to me. I feel great except for the pain that I'm having with breathing right now. I am totally rejecting chemotherapy. How could I, in all consciousness, take a chemical that is going to destroy my immune system further than it's already damaged and compromised, try to artificially rebuild it, still knowing everything is incurable and I'm going to get worse and worse and worse and die. I would want to live a shorter amount of time with a quality of life. So I'm rejecting chemotherapy. I do radiation just because I need to breathe better. And I wasn't a candidate for stem cell therapy. And told him I need to do some investigating of uh, unconventional cancer protocol help me. That's where I left the office. Um, he's still my oncologist. I see him every month, but that's where I left the office. So actually, and I'll talk about these unconventional cancer protocols with you, and, and everything is based on supporting a robust immune system. I needed to rebuild my immune system to the point that literally better than 95% of the population. So I did what I did. And for the next 12 months, I did really well. I went in remission, never had chemo, uh, worse, never got better. But after the radiations to help me breathe better, everything was perfect. I was doing quite well. So we'll fast forward to August 19, one year later, I've already outlived my prognosis by six to nine months. And I'm standing in my bathroom, brushing and flossing my teeth. And I know how to do that. And so I'm standing in the bathroom. My feet are planted on the floor. My trash can is directly to my left. So when I finish flossing, I twist, twist to the left. Now, I know 
that I have fragile bones. I've had pathological fractures along the way during this 12 months. I know that, and it was never serious. So I twist to the left, and my right femur snaps in half. Oof. I crash to the floor, like a couple more ribs, and split my right humerus in half. So I'm literally lying on the floor, writhing in pain, screaming for my wife who's in another room. At that moment, I realize how bad things are. I can see my arm and leg that are in positions that you could never bend. So I know they're cracked. And my wife comes in. Obviously, she's crying. She's hysterical. She calls EMS. EMS, emergency services, come out. And gurneys have a certain length and width to them, and they don't bend. And our hallways are narrow, so to negotiate a gurney from the hospital, uh, to the, from the uh, um, uh, emergency services to get into my bathroom is very difficult. So they manipulate and get me off the floor into a gurney, get me to the hospital. So the hospital resets my leg because it's ready to burst the femoral artery and I would have bled to death. But I know that I have outlived my diagnosis. From this point on, I could not, in my mind, experience a quality of life going forward. My, and it's, as far as I'm concerned, my right side of my body is crushed. So I reject other treatment and I'm placed in a hospice hospital to die. So September, week of September, I'm transferred from the hospital where they fixed my leg to hospice hospital to die. Now, here's some interesting stuff. That week, a hurricane is coming, is predicted to come through Charleston, South Carolina, where I live. That hurricane is Hurricane Dorian. It's moving at one mile an hour, but the winds pack 187 mile an hour of, of winds that is suggested to hit directly at the hospital. The hospital is ordered to evacuate everybody. <laughs> they don't know where to send me. My nurse, she arranges to get a hospital bed in the house. So I am catheterized. I am heavily drugged on narcotics. I am hospice. Now I'm at home in hospice, ready to die. The hurricane comes through. <laughs> the power goes out for 16 hours or whatever. Hospital beds are electric, so the beds don't. The bed doesn't move. It's hot and sticky in the house. It's over ninety degrees outside. There's no electricity. There's, I mean, it's terrible. Life is pretty miserable. And then the power comes back on. Wife then is my strength, and my my wife literally gives me some tough love, and she said, "Look, you are a survivor, not a victim. For the last twelve months, you did extremely well." While you were on your cancer protocols, you had this problem. Let's get you back on the cancer protocols. I'll get a physical therapist and a nurse, and we'll see what we can do. And she gets a physical therapist who eventually gets me to sit out of bed, even stand up. Eventually, the catheter comes out, which is unbelievably terrible. Um, And I start to rally, and I revoke hospice. And I'm starting to walk on, with a walker. And the following month, October 2019, I actually can get into a car and go to my oncologist, who is amazed that I'm still alive. Telling him how I'm doing what I'm doing, he 
a new type of immunotherapy that was recently approved by the FDA that is very specific for my plasma cell malignancy. It's not chemotherapy, it's specific for the immune system and the plasma cells. I start that and I continue to do well. And by May of 2020, I am walking outside a mile a day. I am doing modified squats and modified push-ups in my house. Um, I'm even doing some high-intensity interval with doing squat, modified squats very rapidly so I can get into an anaerobic state. And I'm uh, impressed. I feel great. Um, I'm not in remission. I've not cured cancer, but I feel great. So my oncologist wants me to get a new PET scan, which is a big x-ray um, that evaluates cancer cells because they inject radioactive glucose. And wherever there are cancer cells, they eat up glucose and it glows on the x-ray uh, uh, plate. So I have this test, May 8th, 2020. And my oncologist calls me at home and he says, make sure your wife is on speakerphone. So he reads the radiology report and it says, no active cancer cells in my entire body. And I said, George, read that again. Read that again, because I want to make it misinterpret what he said. My wife is crying and excited. I'm floating off the ground. And then I realized that the PET scan doesn't say everything. It only looks for moderate to advanced cancer cells. It, it certainly says doesn't say that I'm in remission. And I'm not in remission, but I'm in a really good state. And that's where I am today. And I do everything to support my immune system. Whew. I don't even know where to start. There's so many, there's so many amazing uh, twists and turns here. But with your brittle bones that caused that horrible accident in the bathroom, um, seemingly the, the cancer was hard at work during that time, uh, causing all kinds of trouble. And then obviously you healed from those, those severe breaks. Uh, but in the meanwhile, uh, your body must have turned the corner in some way. And, and stopped, you know, the, the attacks. It's interesting. Uh, I don't know how well it stopped the attacks. I think my immune system started to become more um, aggressive and proactive. I do believe that this cancer started way, way, way back. And I do believe, and I can't prove it, but I believe it started in dental school. And I'll tell you why. I did... Again, I'm kind of geeky and I do a lot of research. And I was trying to figure out why did I have multiple myeloma? And I found a paper that was published in 2010 or something like that um, where dentists in my cohort, <clears throat> my age group, 65 to 75, were evaluated compared to the general male population in that age group. And those dentists in my age group had a significantly higher prevalence of malignancy, especially multiple myeloma. Wow, that was interesting. The paper didn't say why. It just was kind of an observational paper. So I, kind, I tried, what's different in my life as a dental student? Two things stand out. One was that I am exposed to low-dose radiation continuously. Those are dental x-rays. And it's a fact that low-dose ionization will cause plasma cells to become malignant. The other thing is that I use mercury filling material as a dentist, learning how to put fillings in teeth. 
all the time. As a matter of fact, dental students, even today, but certainly then, we use free mercury, the, the elemental mercury, that beautiful silvery stuff, mixed it with a powder, mixed it called triturated, and then we squeezed excess mercury out with a squeeze cloth, which was basically cheesecloth, and the excess little mercury balls that were expressed, we threw on the floor, and they danced around the floor, and they disappeared because they evaporated. Who knew? Dental schools, by the way, in those days, the most toxic facilities in the because everybody did it the same way. And so I think the exposure to the free mercury constantly and the exposure to low-dose ionizing radiation, which is always in the clinic, I was walking around all the time, who knew how well I was protected, because I didn't know, um, activated one plasma cell in my body to become malignant and not self-kill it, self-die by apoptosis, and it became malignant. And once that happened, it could grow, and the, my body didn't take care of it. And I think 40-plus years ago, it started, and, and it didn't manifest until I was 71 years old. That's my theory. And I think that ha it has a lot of credibility because of the study that was published about what I just explained. Yeah, that's no joke. I, I have a close family friend who uh, died of Parkinson's. He was a radiologist. And I think two of his uh, fellow practitioners in the same office also died of Parkinson's. So uh, the odds of that are, you know, astronomical. And obviously something was, you know, these these old x-ray machines were probably, um, you know, ho hopefully they're, they're more tight these days. But uh, those toxic work environments. They are. are yeah, they are. Yeah. Uh, what about the stroke? Do you think that was related to your um, uh, dental be. environment could or something? Could very well be. Could my uh, surgeon explain, my vascular surgeon explained that the stroke was related to a carotid artery on my left side that had a congenital uh, type of um, twisting that activated or stimulated the potential for a clot to form. So, I think there was a biological reason that, a congenital reason that maybe allowed that to happen, but who knows? I mean, I, I don't know. It could have been aggravated by going on with dental materials. So your cancer diagnosis was a little different. I, I suppose they don't say it's incurable too frequently. Usually the person gets a diagnosis of cancer and they say, we're going we're gonna to treat it. We're going to beat this thing. We're going to fight it. We're going to dose you with all these drugs. So your decision to kind of step away from the uh, the traditional protocol, I suppose, was a little easier because you had nothing to lose in a way. And I wonder if you can compare and contrast someone who's in there uh, with a, uh, you know, the, the mass is showing and they want to zap it and, and take chemo and, you know, that decision of whether to go holistic or, or go with the go with the drugs is a big difference. As I remember it, my oncologist, George, did not immediately say, you have an incurable bone marrow cancer. He told me what it was. He told me how to treat it. And I started to ask questions, and maybe that brought out the, the idea um, that it was incurable, because I must have said, and I don't remember the order, but I must have said, well, how long? Do patients with this disease live? 
And then he was very clear when he said, if you do nothing, now he said, if you do nothing, give you three to six months to live because of the condition I was in when I presented to his office. And so to do nothing meant for him, you need to start chemo. If not, there's nothing else you could do. So therefore it's incurable. The, the problem I see is that there are always options. It could be incurable. I get that. And I, and I got to tell you, Brad, I was ready to die. I, I don't have a problem with death. If I know that the quality of my life leading up to that point would be good. You know what Mark Sisson said all the time, live long and then drop dead or something to that effect. And, and I didn't really care the years I had in front of me, although I liked to live long, I really cared about the quality of life. So mm. as soon as I knew that my treatment, although it would have burst success, as long as I knew my treatment would decrease the quality of my life going forward, and in the literature, the medical literature, there is no cure for multiple myeloma, then I knew that the ending, ending stages would be pretty devastating. And I didn't want to go that route, even if I had 10 more years to live and then really start to deter deteriorate. I wanted to live good years until it was over. So, so, that, that, so that, that is what drove me to, uh, um, there must be some unconventional protocols. And of course, I learned eating a primal lifestyle I'm living a primal lifestyle and eating a primal diet, much for my my medical, all my allopathic physicians never heard of and couldn't believe that I would actually get rid of all seven medications that theoretically I needed for the rest of my life. I knew that the medical community wasn't the source for my holistic type of healing concept. I just didn't know those concepts yet until I started to research it. Sure. And I think we hear this compare and contrast so frequently, and I really uh, like to um, position it correctly where it's, it's no knock against these hardworking uh, practitioners, but they're not trained and they're not, that's, that's outside of their scope to even reflect on that. They're just trained in dispensing the medications and uh, dealing with the disease state. And I think it's, uh, you know, it's, it's on all of us to go out there and uh, obtain information elsewhere rather than thinking that the physician is the end all for all things, health, wellness, prevention, and things that they're not trained on and, and not focused on. You're absolutely correct. And integrative medicine is the answer. You'll see my uh, allopathic oncologist every month. He actually agrees with my approach. He even asks me to send him diet tips <laughs> from, other, from other medical journals that I read and, and download all over the world that are related to the things that I do. Um, he's impressed. He has not had any multiple myeloma patient that has done what I've done with diet. And, and I'm going, interestingly, through diet and, and gut health and actually mitochondrial health. I'm doing all kinds of things in those regards. He has no patient that has ever done that, and especially without even chemotherapy that is in the state that I am in. 
So I'm teaching him. Now he can't go out and recommend what I'm doing to another patient or he his practice would fire him, you know, and he could be sued because it's not in 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 with the um the standards of of care, uh conventional care. But he's pretty impressed with where I am. Is that so? Uh oh, yeah. he 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 would be actually getting in trouble for making dietary recommendations potentially. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. He could, he could get into a whole lot of trouble. Um, not so much dietary recommendations, but going one step further and saying this type of diet can help heal your cancer, heal your cancer. Mm -hmm. He could, he could get in a lot of trouble. He could lose his license if he started to suggest the things that I do to his patients and then they die. He sued because he deviated from the standard um, course of treatment, conventional course of cancer treatment. Well, yeah. I imagine he could um, certainly make the, the straightforward recommendations and then give a handout of, of foods to eat and foods to avoid and not. Yeah, not yeah, run into yeah. As long, yeah. But but I go a little further than that. So you know, I, I have I have rejected the conventional route, and I am replacing it with an unconventional, holistic, alternative theory. And you know, the only reason it's alternative is only because the the medical profession hasn't accepted yet. It doesn't mean it's wrong. It is very right, in my opinion. It's just that it hasn't been accepted yet because enough human studies have not proven it. If I had to wait for human studies to prove what I'm doing, it would be more than 10 or 20 years from now and I'd be long dead. So I'm like an, a study of N equals one. I have no problem experimenting with myself. If it's working, great. And my unconventional cancer protocols, I've tweaked all along. So what I do today is mm. not how I started, but the concept of being more integrated, holistic with the understanding that I want to have a strong immune system to heal my body naturally as I can, not curing anything, but healing my body is the essence of what I'm trying to do. And I, and I think it relates to anybody and everybody today, even in the world of COVID-19. If you can have a healthier, robust immune system, you have the potential to have less of a reaction with any virus that you contract. Right. And I want to get into your Dr. Al's magic, sure. awesome tips. But uh, before, when we go back to the story, a couple things really, really caught me. And one of them was when you went to the yoga center and started uh, getting educated about ancestral living and came home and you and your wife did the, the seven bags of groceries to the, to the food bank. And now you're relating that you, you share with your patients and you have like two to 3% of them are interested. So I wonder... Yes. What was the trigger for you to have this massive <laughs> grocery bank giveaway, uh, and why are only two to three percent of uh, the, the average person is just uh, resistant to um, what seemingly is a very compelling story? Uh, with obviously you're a pretty good uh, mouthpiece for it, and you're in a great position to influence your patients. Uh, but I'm, I'm asking on behalf of all of us who have so much excitement and enthusiasm we want to share with our friends and family, and you're, you're batting, you know, two to three percent. And it just seems to be the state that we're in now, even with more and more momentum and evidence and success stories and, and science coming through. So, of course, 
in the day when I started doing this, um, it was a number of years ago. So I, I learned about it when I was 66. I got really involved this maybe when I was 68 and I'm 73 now. So those years have gone by. Lots of information has evolved and the general public is more educated today than they were then. But don't forget, I was what would be considered a standard periodontist. I was I was cutting edge in the treatment I was using, like la- certain types of lasers to literally treat periodontal disease very effectively. But still, I was in the mindset that there is infection in the mouth that is causing periodontal disease, and most likely the patient isn't brushing or flossing correctly, which is totally incorrect, by the way. Mm. And I'm thinking... We need to not only teach these patients how to brush and floss better, but we need to treat the disease and kill the bacteria. That's where I was. That's not periodontal disease. Periodontal disease. Let me tell you a little bit about periodontal. Well, let me, let me go back. So people are coming to me as a periodontist looking for a conventional periodontist, treating their infection in the mouth that's caused by their genetics and there are bad bacteria in the mouth. And so I'm going to not correct their genetics, I'm going to take care and kill all this bacteria in their mouth and treat the manifestation of the disease, which is the destruction of the jawbone and maybe even loss of teeth, and we have to replace it correctly. So when they come to me looking at that treatment, and I am coming to them from another point of view saying, well, what I'm learning now is it's not really just to the mouth. It's related to the diet. And it's even more critically related to the health of the bacteria in your gut. They kind of stand up and say, what? You quack? Let me get out of here and get to a real periodontist. And I've had patients that did that with me. Actually leave the office and say to my front desk people, they said, I want to see a real periodontist. I don't want to talk about diet. They just didn't understand, and I did not relay the information correctly. I mean, it's my fault. I didn't educate them. And you know, I could try and teach you and give you all kinds of information, but that isn't motivating. It may educate you. You may understand the science and believe the science, but if you're not emotionally attached to that information, you won't self-motivate and you won't do anything about it. Mm -hmm. But if you are in a situation where you're potentially losing teeth because of an infection, or you had a heart attack, but you survived, and now you know that maybe you need to change your lifestyle so you continue to live so you can see your grandkids grow up, and, or you know other reasons that are emotionally stimulating, then you may make a change. But for a patient to come into me in those days when they have gum disease, and I'm telling them, yeah, let's treat it and take care of your mouth, way, that's not really the cause. You need to change this habit and that habit, and we need to build up your gut microbiome. They're not motivated to do that. They're not ready for that information. So the and emotions the are the, the getting that emotional response behind the decision is the key. Mark Manson says the same thing very nicely in his Really? Books. I think yeah. that that's critical. I think yeah. that's critical. If you're not, that's your why. If you don't have a good enough emotional why, then you're not going to make a change. I had 
a big emotional why when I had a stroke. Why did I have a stroke? I sought out reasons. I never sought out a healthy diet until then because I didn't know I wasn't uh, that I was not healthy. And then with cancer, I sought out even more information to heal my body because it's a life death situation right now, and I'm winning very successfully. Yeah, I guess uh, life or death is what it takes to slap us in the face and wake us up in, in many but, cases or most you know cases. But, but here's an interesting story, and this is a personal experience. Years ago, maybe 30 plus years ago, when I was a periodontist and working with a periodontal group, I remember a patient who came to the office and he had a lung removed because of lung cancer. That's almost life and death, don't you think? Lung removed because of lung cancer, of smoking, but he still smoked. Mm. Still was a smoker. One lung. He knew he lost a lung because of smoking, yet he was a smoker. So although this is life and death, it was not emotionally tied to him. He rejected it. He was not a believer. Um, we have a lot of mis disbelievers in the United States today fortunate reasons, I guess. And so you're not a believer until it hits you emotionally, not medically. Lost a lung. He was ready to die, but he had one lung so he could continue to smoke. It's crazy. It's a tough one. Crazy. Right. And um, I think, you know, I, I've learned that um, I, I, I save my breath until someone is in that position, uh, ready to receive the information and the guidance. Otherwise, you, like you said, you can dispense information all day long and it's going to just float, float right in and out. But those 2 to 3% of patients that really um, uh, embrace what I was saying um, went full in 100% mm -hmm. and they saw the results. They were emotionally tied to an outcome. I may not have known what motivated them emotionally, but my information triggered a, a turning point in their mindset and they became self-motivated. And the results were quite impressive. Uh, so I guess that's your Let story too, that you, you've, you've been in this uh, healthcare scene and then you get exposed to this new information that really starts to click for you. And that's all you need to, to get the grocery bags out and head to the food bank and make yeah, a complete I'm, I'm, change. That's the kind of, yeah, some people only need information. And, and I really, I think that that's the kind of person I am, but I am a very, very small percentage. Let me tell you something interesting talking about dental plaque and oral health. Um, this will blow you away, I think. Dental plaque is healthy until it's not. You do not want to remove healthy dental plaque. It is a health biofilm in the mouth. Let me give you an idea why I say that. The tooth is a very unique structure. It's a hard structure that pierces epithelium gum tissue, you know, the skin of the gum around your, your jaw, it literally goes to the sterile jawbone and it's lodged in the jawbone. There is no other area in the body where a hard natural substance, biological substance, pierces the tissue and embeds itself into sterile tissue. If there were no protective covering 
in that very susceptible area where the tooth pierces the gum, bacteria could literally slide down like a sliding board, get into the sterile bone and infect the jawbone instantaneously, and we would all lose our jaws and eventually die. Our species would have ended a long time ago. So the biofilm of dental plaque is one of the first methods to protect itself. There are many other methods under the gum. So the biofilm is not the element, but it's the first element that bacteria meets in that area where the tooth meets the gum. So the, back, the, the mouth is made up of maybe potentially 700 species of bacteria. Dental plaque, maybe two or 300 bacteria that form that biofilm. And that biofilm does three very important things. It actually, the, 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 the garden of bacteria make a variety of peroxide, create its own oxide that literally kills other potential pathogenic bacteria that's in the mouth that wants to get into this very fragile area where the tooth meets the gum. It also has chemical buffers maintain an acid level of a 5.5 or greater, meaning it doesn't get any more acid than 5.5 so that the tooth root doesn't demineralize, the tooth root doesn't decay. And then it's also the gatekeeper where it allows minerals flowing in from the saliva into the surface of the root to remineralize it 24 hours a day, seven days a week as needed. So it's a very protective covering. And that covering is supposed to be there. And I know that. We know that. Science knows that. Because we can look at jawbones from previous uh, our primal ancestors, maybe 20, 10 to 20,000 years old. And we can see the jawbone of these humans that are, is relatively we can see the teeth that are relatively decayed, and we can see calculus, tartar, mineralized substances between the tooth and the, and, and the bone, which is actually soft plaque that has calcified. But there's no disease in the tooth, no disease in the bone, but this is all natural. This is the way it was supposed to be. Now, 99% of the population, I would say, is not healthy. As a matter of fact, there was a study that was also done, uh, maybe 2006 or five or whatever, that was reported in uh, one medical journal, showed that the U.S. population, or 94% of the U.S. population, has some form of gingivitis, inflammation, bleeding of the gums. Not excessive, just maybe one area. That's infection. How does that happen? Our primal ancestors didn't have that. How does that happen? Well, it really has, unless you have iatrogenic dentistry, meaning poorly done dentistry where fillings are broken or poorly put in fillings that are irritating the gum or things that are happening in that regard, that infection in the mouth is a sign of a compromised immune system. And a compromised immune system is a result of a dysbiotic gut. You have an imbalance of bacteria in the gut, an overabundance of pathogenic species that's changing the gut lining and it leaks into the bloodstream, creates infection, inflammation. It also um, changes the immune system to the point where it's constantly activated. And if it's constantly activated, it can't do everything. So it's 
its, its resources are to try to get rid of this chronic inflammation. When you have another acute inflammation or infection start, it's, it's compromised in its ability to fight that. And that compromised immune system changes the, the, the garden of bacteria in the mouth. And potentially pathogenic bacteria start to overgrow. And then when we eat the foods that support the bad bacteria, like the refined carbohydrates, the sugars, and eat foods that have phytates in it that suck out the minerals, and we use antimicrobial toothpaste and whatever that kill good bacteria, mm. as well as some bad bacteria, everything starts, starts to break down. We need to have a healthy gut, but we also need to have a healthy mouth. And we only, if we only concentrate on a healthy, healthy mouth, and the gut bacteria that has initiated the problem will continue to initiate other problems in other organ systems, as well as the mouth. Very well said. Wow. And it, it seems like gut health is the emerging uh, centerpiece of uh, preventive medicine and, and, and health. And I think that was a really good description of why that's so important and how that can manifest in the mouth. And boy, um, if we're not paying attention yet, this is uh, <laughs> one place to really focus on is that, is that gut health and nourishing it. So I think with that, we should jump into your, your, your list of, uh, of tips that you're, you're doing, your protocols. Um, the, the gut health comes in at, at number, number two on your list, but I guess starting out, you should talk about your, um, your better belly blueprint diet and we'll just, uh, we'll just hit these hard and with great takeaways for the, the person wanting to, uh, turn their health around, protect themselves against disease, even battle disease in your case. Absolutely. So I was eating a paleo diet. When I was diagnosed with cancer, I changed my paleo diet to a paleo autoimmune diet with all the research I was reading. And I continued with that until January 1st, 2020. And then I started to learn about an animal-based diet, the carnivore diet kind of turned me off. didn't make sense to me because I didn't really do very much research about it at that point. But once I started to dive into the research, and certainly uh, Paul Saladino's book, The Carnivore, which is so well-researched, and also a clinic in Budapest, Hungary called the Paleomedicina Clinic, who actually has been treating um, patients, humans, not rats or mice now, humans, since 2010 or 11, they've treated over 5,000 patients that have serious chronic disease and curable and incurable cancers with a strict animal-based diet with no supplements, no pharmaceutical drugs, and they are reporting in medical literature case studies of their patients resolving their chronic and, and um, cancerous issues I was compelled. And after doing a deep dive into those areas, I changed my diet January 1st of 2020, like I mentioned, to a strict carnivore diet. And I wrote a book, uh, you know, a mini series uh, book, um, which is only like 30 pages long, the, My Better Belly Blueprint, which is basically my take on the carnivore diet with a few other things that are incorporated. That is what I do. Now, the interesting thing is, with the research from the Paleomedicina Clinic primarily, 
correctly. And eating or diet with a fat, the, the, the medical results are quite fascinating. Tissues heal. And not only do tissues heal, this type of diet actually encourages an extreme um, ability to absorb nutrients that the body requires. So this is my diet, and this is what I've been doing. Yeah, I've, uh, the, the listeners know that I'm, I'm fascinated by the, the carnivore rationale as well, uh, specifically the, the increased nutrient density when your plate is filled with animal foods and yes. not uh, taking up some of those calories uh, with the you know, less nutrient-dense foods, including a lot of the plants that we've been told should be the centerpiece of our plate. But then the, uh, the potential uh, sensitivity and reactivity to all these uh, natural toxins contained in plants, I don't think I'm one of those people that's severely reactive, but uh, like Saladino says really well, um, you know, if, if you're kicking ass right now and you want to kick more ass, maybe this is something to look at that you don't even realize what your, you know, what your baseline potential is because you've been stuffing this stuff down your throat your entire life, thinking that the kale salad and the, the green smoothie is the centerpiece of healthy living. And we've been programmed uh, so successfully by uh, marketing forces to think that, you know, the, the more colorful your plate is and the more this, this produce you can shove down your throat, uh, the healthier you're going to be. Part, that's true. And part of the problem is things are cumulative. So you could be putting irritants in your body that don't give you or manifest in a disease month, one year, maybe even five, 10 years. It may take even longer to do that. It's like if you had a splinter in your finger, let's say, and you were the healthiest guy in the world, um, that area where the splinter is stuck in your finger is infected, inflamed, and it's affecting your immune system. Smart enough to remove the splinter, the skin heals. But if you were not smart enough beyond that, and you took the splinter for some stupid reason, and you kept sticking it in the previous puncture wound once a week, it'll. and if you put things in your gut that are irritants, that our DNA blueprint, never designed enzymes to deal with, and you're constantly irritating this area of your body, you're like sticking a splinter in your finger each time. Beautiful thing about the gut is that the epithelial barrier of the gut heals itself, regenerates every five days. You know, if you were a terrible eater today and you were the perfect eater tomorrow, no other irritants that were that that are in your environment were put into your gut, that epithelial lining is new every five to seven days. You can really recover, but if you keep irritating it once a week because you're, you're going to do a little cheating because you were so good for seven days, all of that goes down and you start the whole process over again. So the problem is we're rid of the stuff that is accumulating and and you're right, irritants, um, you just don't know how good you could be if you didn't stop taking them. And so you you're, them. you're on this carnivore-style diet uh, yes. and mentioning that uh, once a week, you're putting deliberately finding some uh, carbohydrates to put in there to maintain right. metabolic flexibility. 
Right. So my, 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 I go into ketosis. I know I'm in ketosis using a, a ketone breath meter. Um, and, and I know that my million moles per liter are in an area where of ketones where I'm in a healthy state of ketosis. And then maybe the seventh day of the week, I will cycle out of ketosis eating a, a bunch of healthy carbs. I'll eat raw honey. You know, one tablespoon of raw honey is 17 grams, two or three grams, I mean, two or three tablespoons of hot go, whatever those fruits. Mm, the, the thing's totally choking now. So I think um, pick it up when you said you're talking about the honey. Okay, so the, so the honey actually is um, a healthy carb. One tablespoon of honey actually equals 17 grams of carbs. So 17 grams of carbs will not throw you out of ketosis if that's the only carbs you're eating. But you can have two or three tablespoons of honey on that seventh day when you cycle out of ketosis, maybe an apple, maybe a mango, some other fruit. Um, these are healthy carbs. These are carbs that actually will take you into a carb-burning mode, exercise your metabolism, so to speak, mm -hmm. um, raise your insulin level, do everything that it's supposed to do. And then the next day I go back into ketosis, that burner, there's no carb cravings. I know I'm in ketosis because I can check my, um, my breath ketone meter and I'll do that for another six, seven days and then cycle out. I don't cycle out every seventh day, but on the average, every seventh day I cycle out of ketosis into carbs. Nice. And then you're uh, mentioning some pretty exotic supplements. We'll put these in the show notes where you're focusing on maintaining that healthy uh, gut lining as well as yes. uh, working on your bone health. Yes. All of these things are absolutely critical. So diet is critical. Your gut microbiome is critical. So you have to re replace, re re uh, regrow bacteria if, if you're lacking in it. What you really want to do is develop what's called alpha diversity. Alpha diversity is a diversity of or a, a number of species of microbes, bacteria, and numbers of individual species that are in large numbers. The research has shown that the primal societies today that are healthy have a very high alpha diversity, meaning they have many, many, many different species of bacteria, and each of the species has many of them. And what happens is when you have that many species, it crowds out the potentially pathogenic bacteria, and it helps the immune system to function more accurately. 30 trillion human cells. So these 38 trillion microbes communicate with a, about 100,000 or so immune cells that tell the immune system, here's a problem, there's a problem, get your adaptive and innate systems re ready to defend the body. So all of that is in conjunction uh, with health. And to do that, you need this alpha diversity. And there are ways to test your alpha diversity. Uh, and your restrictive diet is not at all uh, harming this goal, which some people, um, you know, are under the under the assumption that uh, the more and more plants we can find, we're going to have more gut diversity. Let me tell you an interesting paper that was published 
two or three years ago. I don't remember the uh, the author of the paper, but um, it showed that the gut microbiome is very adaptive. We all know that. If you were on a plant-based diet, the species are such, uh, it can be recorded. But if you switched to a 100% animal-based diet, the species change in the gut within 24 hours. And then if you go back to a plant-based diet, those species again change to a different type of um, uh, environment, ecosystem, within 24 hours. So the, the microbiome in the gut is very adaptable. The other thing is that when fiber is available, the gut microbiome ferments it for uh, short-chain fatty acids and a host of other things. However, when the fiber is not available and the amino acids are available, the microbiome in the gut literally ferment the amino acids into the same short-chain fatty acids eventually. So the, you do not need fiber from plants to have a healthy gut microbiome, and you don't need fiber motility in the gut to have healthy bowel movements because a lot of the motility in the gut is related to the mast cells that are within the system's epithelial barrier that are communicating back and forth. So everything I know and I've read and personally experienced is that an animal-based diet is not only ideal for the human species, but it feeds our microbiome impressively. But an animal-based diet gives you a different microbiome than a plant-based diet. But that's okay. Right. Uh, my our, our colleague at, at Primal, Brian McAndrew, who does all the audio and the video, he um, he came up with the insight that you know you have a, a rainforest that's teeming with thousands of different plant species, and it's a very healthy ecosystem. But if you go out into the desert, it's just as healthy of an ecosystem, even though it looks dry and barren. Uh, you know, there's there's all kinds of uh, life flourishing and perfect harmony with each other. And you can't necessarily judge a rainforest to be superior to a desert. Uh, and so if you're eating a you know, a restrictive diet with the with the best nutrition and the least offensive uh, agents in there. You're you're probably uh, thriving like a desert. Exactly, and both environments, both ecosystems are thriving in their own way. Yeah, correct. Uh, That's a great a great analogy. Tell us about this uh, mitochondria uh, treatment with you with the pulse sure. electromagnetic field therapy. Sure. So, cancer and all chronic disease. All chronic disease is a disease of dysfunctional mitochondria. Um, cancer is not only dysfunctional mitochondria, it's dysfunctional metabolism and a, a dysfunctional immune system. But the mitochondria are a, a unique organelle in our cells. Basically, they are the batteries of our cells. So, you, you, you know, if you have a flashlight and you want the light to glow, you not only need to turn on the button to the flashlight, you have to have batteries in the flashlight. But if you have batteries in the flashlight and you turn the button on, the light is, is beaming, slowly weaken and eventually go out because the batteries are getting used off and they die. So the mitochondria of our cells, except for red cells, red blood cells, the mitochondria are the batteries of the cells. And cells have some as little as two to 300 mitochondria per cell and some that are very active, like the heart, have maybe 
three, four, five thousand mitochondria per cell. So these mitochondria are critical. But if these mitochondria become dysfunctional for a variety of reasons, meaning they're not functioning the way they are supposed to, the cell can't do what it is supposed to. And cancer cells are related to this dysfunction of the mitochondria that create lots of free radicals that damages the ability to for the cell to function. And it also damages the ability for the cell to kill itself off when it's not functioning properly. And those malignant cells that won't kill themselves off, the immune system doesn't recognize it, but the mitochondria are not up to par to make the cell work properly, will duplicate and spread, but they're non-functional, and that's what a malignancy is all about. So if there is a method to improve the health of the mitochondria, as well as the cell membrane and the ions that get transported in and out of the cell, like sodium and potassium and calcium and whatever, if we can improve that, we can just help the health of individual cells. And there are some technologies that do that. Now, intermittent fasting and, and regular fasting will improve the mitochondria. High-intensity interval training has been shown to improve the mitochondria. Um, being in ketosis improves the mitochondria. But there are therapies called pulsed electromagnetic field therapies that generate a frequency that literally speaks to the cell. These are very low frequency waves in a, a harmonic pattern that are similar to the cell's frequencies. Cells communicate not only by chemical um, cytokine reactions, they also communicate by frequency. They talk and they, they can explain things back and forth. And when a cell is dysfunctional and its, and its signaling or frequencies are out of sync, they can kind of be tricked back into a healthy sink by utilizing pulse electromagnetic field therapy. So pulse electromagnetic field therapy basically is, for me, a mat, almost like a yoga mat that I put under my bed covers, and it's generating a whole series of harmonic wave patterns that are low frequency, but that are similar to frequencies of different cells in my body. And by doing a protocol of this type of creation of frequencies, and I lay on this mat, the potential for these frequencies to stimulate the, my cell membranes, cell oxygenation, improve, um, improving the um, ion transport in and out of the cell can only enhance my cells. And that's, again, enhancing my immune system. Now, there are, are many papers in medical literature that shows pulse electromagnetic field therapy aiding uh, soft tissue healing, surgical uh, surgery, uh, surgical uh, soft tissue, um, broken bones, even with osteoporosis. The the um, scientists at NASA use a type of pulse electromagnetic field therapy for astronauts to prevent osteoporosis, since they learned that weightlessness will create osteoporosis. Pulse electromagnetic field therapy can actually prevent osteoporosis or improve the condition of osteoporosis. So it's a very interesting technology, and there's many, many articles that if you were to um, research PubMed, you'll find all over the world about pulse electromagnetic field therapy. 
Nice. Uh, and in this contrast with the harmful electromagnetic radiation that we uh, learn about from the cell phones and the Wi-Fi routers. So this is kind of uh, coming at it from the, the proper direction and, and helping your cells rather than uh, uh, you know, harming them with the, the artificial uh, uh, radiation, I guess. Yeah, the artificial radiation, um, even if it's low frequency, has a lot of voltage spikes. And here's something interesting with PEMF or pulse electromagnetic field therapy. It actually neutralizes the damage to the cell from the generalized pulse electromagnetic field, damaging pulse uh, electromagnetic fields that we're, that we're exposed to all the time. So it were not in any unhealthy condition for, this, for the most part. But if you were to use a pulse electromagnetic field therapy mat once a day or twice a day with certain frequencies, you could literally offset the damage your cells received that day from the dirty electromagnetic fields that you experiencing by using the internet right now or um, a host of other reasons why you're exposed to dirty electromagnetic electromagnetic fields. You don't have to, in my opinion, you don't have to go out and, and get crazy by insulating your house and insulating and filtering all the electrical wiring in your house and doing quite a number of things that may make your house a little more um, environmentally healthy. But as soon as you walk outside, you're still exposed. But <laughs> if you are exposed, but you use PEMF therapy on a daily basis, you're neutralizing the damage that's being created. That's pretty an interesting... For me, that's a pretty interesting concept. Yeah, uh, I'm excited about the the next item on your list. You're a big fan of uh, animal organ supplements, so oh, yeah. we know that the organs are the most nutrient dense foods and uh, vastly superior nutrition to the the things we emphasize the the muscle meats that is what we're mostly eating uh, when we're talking about animals. So uh, the listeners know about my Mofo product with ancestral supplements. It's designed to optimize testosterone, and it sounds like you're uh, you're big on that, especially with the uh, the bone marrow for your particular condition? Yes. I, obviously, a carnivore diet is not a meat, a muscle meat diet. It is muscle meat, but organs, saturated fat, and collagenous material. You have to balance the collagen proteins with um, muscle meat protein, as you know, where it's not a healthy diet. If you only ate steak all the time, that's not a healthy diet. But I'm not, although I do eat organs, I don't eat every organ every day. Uh, I don't have access to it and whatever, but I do take um, desiccated organs. And I don't consider the, those supplements. I just consider it a different form of food because the desiccated organs have everything that organs have. And if you look at the ingredients in the capsules, there's nothing added like junk or inert ingredients other than the capsule. And generally, I actually take the powder out of the capsule and sprinkle it on my other food. But that is, I think, enormous minerals and nutrients that are in uh, healthy animals into your system. That, that, those are critical. So yes, I'm a big a believer in those desiccated organs. Wow, Dr. Al, there's there's so much here, and I, I want to uh, point the listeners to your uh, materials. 
on your website and see how they can connect with you further. Uh, you talked about your uh, modified uh, exercise regimen to make sure that you don't do any damage, but that you keep active and even uh, stimulate some of that anaerobic activity. I like the the last takeaway on your list, which is uh, reducing general life stress and uh, meditating, uh, working on your breathing, uh, muscle body relaxation, things like that. So it seems like you got a, a total all around uh, program here to give you uh, plenty of health in the years ahead after this uh, this ordeal that I congratulate you for you know staying positive and, and battling through it and then and then talking to us about it. I really appreciate your time sharing the story. Well, first of all, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to share because I think this information needs to be out there. I think people that have a life-threatening condition, it could be life-threatening, it could be just serious chronic disease, um, or maybe a member of the family is, is suffering with those types of things. Anybody and everybody needs to know there are options, and they need to know that you can do some research to find those options. And a lot of those options that may not be accepted yet by conventional medicine are very well documented. I'm not into crazy stuff. Um, I, I'm only interested in the things that have been not only uh, reported, but duplicated by other researchers. If just one guy tells me that this system that he created is the, the end all to cancer and no one else has been able to show it or experiment with it, I'm not interested. I'm only interested in the potentials. Um, and if they make sense to me, I'll try them. And I think other people that are in different states of health, especially if they're critically involved with life-death situations, need to look at those and need to go with their conventional medical doctor and present some of those ideas. If your conventional medical doctor doesn't want to hear from you, fire him and find somebody else. There are integrative oncologists that are willing to be have an open mind. They don't, they don't necessarily have to subscribe to what you've done and eliminate all other treatment. You need to integrate good alternative healing modalities with good, well-documented conventional medicine. And although chemotherapy was not my answer, there are some immunotherapies that I actually take care that, um, uh, accept that do not destroy tissue. They only help my immune system. Dr. Al Dannenberg, closing with a flourish. What a what a <laughs> great uh, a great summary. Let's get out there and and honor these recommendations, people. And uh, how do we find you? Connect with you? I'm easily available on the internet. DrDannenberg.com. That's D-R-D-A-N-E-N-B-E-R-G.com. There in the uh, uh, navigation bar, there's a little contact button. If you wanted to send me an email, I read all my emails. I respond to all my emails personally. Dr. Al Dannenberg, thank you listeners for joining us with this great show. That's a wrap. Da, 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 da. Hey folks, how about a non-drinker telling you what kind of alcohol you should drink? That's right. It's pseudo sommelier Brad Kearns here to recommend dry farm wines. Why? Because if you choose to drink, I want you to be healthy and make a superior choice to the mainstream commercial wines. Listen to my podcast with Dry Farm Wines founder Todd White. The insights were astonishing, especially that most all commercial wines are loaded with dozens of chemicals 
labels that the FDA allows in your wine, but don't have to be listed on the label. And the sugar, oh my goodness, the sugar levels can be as much or more per liter than Coca-Cola, but difficult to taste due to the acidity in the wine. Dry Farm Wines is a membership club where you're shipped hand-picked wines from old-world family-run vineyards in France, Italy, Greece, and Sicily. These wines come from non-irrigated vineyards hundreds of years old that deliver a tastier, higher antioxidant grape, and they're independent lab certified to be completely free from chemical additives and naturally 100% sugar-free. That's right. The sugar was allowed to ferment out instead of be arrested by chemical intervention in the name of pleasing the average consumer palate that has a sweet tooth. The Dry Farm Wines Club has taken off like crazy because ancestral and keto enthusiasts, people who care about their health, appreciate a sugar-free wine. You'll enjoy the variety, the taste, and the pleasant sensation in the aftermath of burning through the alcohol buzz and going on with your life without a hangover. So if you care about your carb intake and your overall health, Dry Farm Wines has a special promotion for podcast listeners. Get your first bottle for a penny when you enroll at dryfarmwines.com slash brad or click on the Dry Farm Wines at the bradkerns.com shopping page. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the show. I love sharing the experience with you and greatly appreciate your support. Please email podcast at bradventures.com with feedback, suggestions, and questions for the Q&A shows. Subscribe to our email list at bradkerns.com for a weekly blast about the published episodes and a wonderful bi-monthly newsletter edition with informative articles and practical tips for all aspects of healthy living. You can also download several awesome free ebooks when you subscribe to the email list. And if you could go to the trouble to leave a five or five-star review with Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen to the shows, that would be super incredibly awesome. It helps raise the profile of the BRAD podcast and attract new listeners. And did you know that you can share a show with a friend or loved one by just hitting a few buttons in your player and firing off a text message? My awesome podcast player called Overcast allows you to actually record a soundbite excerpt from the episode you're listening to and fire it off with a quick text message. Thank you so much for spreading the word. And remember, be rad.